Welcome to the Autism Empowerment Podcast, your source for acceptance, enrichment, inspiration, and empowerment in autistic and autism communities worldwide. Wherever you identify in your autism or autistic journey, Autism Empowerment is here to meet you along the way. We are an autistic-led podcast, 501c3 nonprofit charity, and publisher of Spectrum Life magazine. In today's episode, we're focusing on supporting parents who are new or early in their child's autism journey. In the summer 2018 issue of Spectrum Life magazine, Jasmine Jones wrote a letter to parents called, When the Best Therapy is Love. As an autistic mother, Jasmine shared advice and wisdom that resonates especially with parents new in their autism journey, but is encouraging for others on the road as well. We'll be reading the letter to you today and discussing key takeaways. And we're live and on the air. Hey there, Karen. Hi, John. You sound pretty energized. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. I'm so happy that we're already up to episode number six. Yeah, that's right. We're doing pretty good being on podcast episode six. We're rolling along. We're doing our best to release new content twice a week, usually sometime on Mondays and Thursdays. Be sure to subscribe and feel free to go back and check out our past episodes. We produce a lot of evergreen content that's meant to retain its relevance for a long time. With that being said, hello to our listeners, whether you're here with us for the first time or you're a returning guest. Thank you for joining us. My name is Karen Krejcia, and I'm the executive director and co-founder of Autism Empowerment and one of your hosts for today's podcast. I'm here with my husband, John Krejcia, who is our program's director and other co-founder. We recently finished a two-part series on autism support, support groups, and forums. Today, we want to speak to parents who are either new or early in their autism journey and share loving words of wisdom from someone who has gone before you. Specifically, we're going to be reading and then discussing a letter to parents called When the Best Therapy is Love, written by Jasmine Jones and first published in the summer 2018 issue of Spectrum Life magazine. For now, I'm going to turn this over to John to take on the primary duties of asking questions and helping orchestrate this episode. I'm happy to be the conductor for today's show, and I'll help keep the band together. <laughs> You're just full of witticisms. Why, thank you. Why are we doing the show today, and how can the content help our listeners? We're doing this show today to remind parents that no matter what they may be feeling, they are not alone in this journey. Especially when you're new, it's nice to know that you're not alone. That being said, if you do search online for advice and support, you're going to be flooded with suggestions. So today we wanted to share some particular wisdom that comes from both a parent perspective and the perspective of someone who's autistic. We're doing this show also because we want to remind you that your child is the same as they were before the diagnosis. They still need your unconditional love to remember that they're valuable and you're valuable too. Hey, Karen, would it be okay if you read the article first so our listeners can hear what the article is all about and then we can come back and go over the points more in depth? I think that would be a great idea. There's a lot to cover in this article. I don't want our listeners to feel that they have to sit and take notes right away. So we're going to go ahead and put the article in the show notes at our website at www.autismempowermentpodcast.org. For now, listen to this from the frame of reference that it's a letter from a mom to you with love. Dear parent of the child who just got diagnosed as having autism, may I share some advice? I ask because many won't. This comes from an autistic parent's perspective. Love your child unconditionally. Presume competence. 
promote autism acceptance. Assume when you're talking in front of children that they're listening. Your dislike of an autistic behavior may be internalized by your child as a dislike of them. Remember that all children and adults are lifelong learners. Assume that anything you post online may someday be read by your child, their peers, and future employers, yours too. Learn to enjoy what your child does and unlock a key to their world. Get to know autistic adults. Autistic adults can be quite a prolific group online. Teach your child to advocate and include him or her in their IEP meetings. Know that it's common for autism to run in families genetically. Remember, there's no shame in seeking counseling for yourself. Encourage your child's faith journey while you're strengthening your own. Befriend yourself and make dedicated time each day for grounding. Continue to educate yourself. You'll be visiting a lot of health professionals over the next few years. Many of them do not have extensive specialized training with the vast intricacies of how autism presents itself in boys, girls, teens, and adults. You'll hear or read a lot of advice from autism parents over the next few years. Remember, their experience is only with their own child. And although their advice may prove invaluable, what works for one child may not work for another. It's good to have peers you can turn to, but if you're meeting those peers in person, make sure they're also uplifting influences for your child. What do I mean? Well, parents get together to chat for things like playdates and such, and then they'll start venting right in front of the children, whether it's their kids or someone else's. So not cool. Kids hear and internalize. They pick up on raised voices and rude tones. They want to please their parents and get hurt or embarrassed when they hear things about their inability to toilet or the meltdown they had at school. They get sad or think mom or dad hates them when they complain in front of them how they never get a break because of their kids. Please don't give your kid a guilt trip. They'll have enough on their own. So be careful. The mental health and self-esteem of the beloved child you have been entrusted with is at stake. When you do need to vent, do it away from the kids. Don't talk badly about your spouse in front of them. And if you need to see a mental health counselor for you or your family, do it sooner rather than later. Doctors tend to operate from a deficit model. In other words, the medical model of what is broken or needing fixing. And may suggest things which put you in a panic mode thinking if you don't do XYZ for 30 hours a week and buy XYZ supplement or do XYZ treatment, you're going to somehow miss out on an important window that's going to close for your child forevermore. Hogwash. It's not for me to determine the best treatment for your child, but my advice for you is that when you're interested in learning about a particular type of treatment, that you seek out opinions from people who have had that treatment in the past. Love your child. Don't try to fix him. Help your child with skills in a way that works with her neurology and not against. Finally, Remember that people with lived autism experience are often willing to provide well-needed perspective on what will work for them and what might not. When you're working with doctors, teachers, and other service providers, ask if they ever seek autistic input from adults. And if not, why? Mom and Dad, you have a child with a lot to offer you. Remember that. Chances are you'll learn so much from your newly diagnosed autistic child that your life will transform. I'm rooting for you. I'm rooting for your child. Welcome to the autism community.
Love, Jasmine. Wow. Thank you so much for reading that, Karen. That was actually very impactful now as when it was first written in 2018. I know that was a stories from the spectrum, autism from an autistic perspective, correct? Yes. For our listeners out there who may not be that familiar with autism empowerment, in addition to producing this podcast, we also publish a magazine called Spectrum Life Magazine. You can learn more about that at spectrumlife.org. In each issue of our magazine, we have an ongoing series called Stories from the Spectrum, Autism from an Autistic Perspective. And what that is, is an opportunity for autistic youth or autistic adults to share something about their journey from their own perspective, to be able to share that knowledge and insight and wisdom with others. When we used to have this podcast when it was called Autism Empowerment Radio, we did a similar thing called Snippets from the Spectrum. As we go along with our podcasts in the future, our different podcast episodes, we're going to be bringing that back because I think it's important to hear an autistic point of view in a lot of the things that we share. Getting back to what Jasmine wrote, John, you mentioned it was really impactful to you, and I'm curious for you to share with our listeners why that might be. Absolutely. So we've been on this journey since 2008, so that's coming up on about 13 years with our kids. And there are so many things that resonated from what Jasmine had said, so many of the different points that she went over. But I think one of the biggest things is I wish I would have had that when we first had the diagnosis. It would have probably helped me save a lot of internal grief and internal fighting because there's a struggle sometimes, a cycle of grief. Because kids don't come with manuals, and especially kids on the autism spectrum don't come with the manuals. And even though I'm not big on reading manuals because I'm a guy, it would have been really helpful. (laughs) (laughs) And I look at what she'd written as like a manual. You know what I'm saying? But then I would have read that. Yeah. You know what I noticed? What? Husbands don't come with manuals either. So, Karen, while you're reading that, how did you feel about that? John, it brought me back to when our children were first diagnosed We have two kids on the spectrum, and they were both diagnosed back in 2008 when our youngest was two and our oldest was nine. Like you said, I wish that I had the perspective of another parent, particularly an autistic parent, because a lot of the things that we heard in those beginning days were just really overwhelming and came from a place of doom and gloom versus hope and positive trajectory. And we were pretty isolated, too. Yeah, we're pretty isolated. So when I read that, I thought there were a lot of great ideas in there. There is a lot to unpack. It can be kind of overwhelming, and I'm sure that listening to it, there's just so much to try to remember. That's why it's important that we just put that article out there for people to check out. But I was really encouraged. As we learn from others, it's great to pay that knowledge forward because it makes the journey easier for others than it was for us. I think that she shared so many different types of suggestions I figure if people just put into practice a fraction of those, it's going to be easier for them. When more people put these concepts into practice, it creates not only a better environment within their own families, but it creates a better environment in our schools, in our communities, in our world at large. Just like each of our children have gifts to give, we do too, and we can all help make the world a better place. So I think Jasmine's article helps create more ambassadors for autism acceptance. And if we can be better parents by learning some nuggets of wisdom from other people, that's just great for our children and great for ourselves. Well said. Do you think we could go over some of the points and unpack some of the points that she'd gone over? 
would love to. There's so much there to be shared. I'd love to talk about it. It's hard to pick one or two, so I'm just going to pick a few of them to go over. Mm -hmm. Many of them will probably end up being their own shows down the road. I think that we're going to be doing a lot of shows for people who are either new to diagnosis or early on in their journey. This is kind of a starting point, right? A 10,000-foot level, that's what I see. Mm -hmm. One of the topics I want to talk about is presuming competence. Can we go over that one? Because that, to me, really resonated quite a bit. Absolutely. I think that when you're starting out in your journey, that's one of the first things that you really do need to hear. Presume competence. What does that mean? Well, in this instance, presuming competence means to assume that an autistic person, your child, has the capacity to think, learn, and understand, even if you don't see any tangible evidence that that's the case. It's assuming that they're not inherently incapable or unable They just need the right support, tools, and resource systems to help them succeed. Now, a lot of times, if parents are parenting children that might be non-speaking or non-verbal, it may be very difficult to see how their child communicates. And so that's sometimes when people do not presume competence, even though they should. So again, it's assuming that they're not inherently incapable or unable. They just need those supports and tools and resource systems. It's not idealism, it's not wishful thinking, and certainly it's not ignoring or pretending the challenges that their child faces are not there. Presuming competence is about giving someone a chance or opportunity and helping them take that opportunity in any way that they can. Now, you can always go back and simplify things if need be, if you're teaching someone something, but it's much harder to go back and help your child reclaim lost opportunities. I like to describe it as if you aim low, you're really going to only expect low results. But if you aim high, your child will be more likely to rise to meet those expectations. It's interesting. Can I interject here a little bit? Sure, absolutely. It's interesting because we've been to a lot of different autism conferences and we've met a lot of autism advocates over the years, right? We've met many that have been nonverbal or non-speaking in communication with them. They've expressed to us how it was very difficult for them because they would be hearing all of these negative things from their parents or from providers or from other people outside of themselves. And it really weighed on their mental capacity. It really didn't lift them up. John, you made a really good point there. I have, over the years, seen many different autistic adults who are currently still not able to really verbalize or speak, but they communicate either through writing or other communication devices. They talk a lot about how they heard and understood so much of what people around them were saying, but they couldn't verbalize their competence. And so they were stuck in classes that were way below their ability levels. If you happen to be a parent of a child who isn't currently speaking, our child had lost his ability to speak at one point, find a way to communicate with them. Find a way for them to communicate with you. That's a great point. That actually segues into our next section. So Jasmine talked about presuming, but now we're talking about assuming. Can we talk about some of her points when she was talking about assuming? Assuming. Yes. I remember one of the points that she made that stuck with me particularly was assume when you're talking in front of your children that they're listening. I think that is so imperative. I don't know how many times I have been in situations where I'll be with parents of other children on the spectrum and they'll start talking about their children in front of the children and in front of my children and they'll be saying something really negative or bad. Just because you dislike a particular autistic behavior 
doesn't mean that you need to share that in front of everybody. Your children are listening to what you're saying and your dislike of something may be internalized by your child as a dislike of them. They may not be able to understand that. I think that a lot of times people will talk about their children as if they're not in the room. I know our kids have both shared that with us where they've been at school, they've been in classrooms and parents or teachers or other people will come in and they'll talk. Even in special ed classes. It happens. Where the teachers will be talking about other kids and they're not thinking that the students are listening. We heard many stories coming back to us. I hear lots and lots of stories. Assume that if you're saying something in front of your child that they're listening even if they have their headphones on. That happens to our child all the time. <laughs> we, we, we might be talking about something and then looking over at him, he has his headphones on, and then all of a sudden, boom, he'll make some comment randomly that we were talking about. And we're like, what? Yeah. So be very careful. Certainly, if you need to vent and if you need to get something out about your child, don't do it in front of them. I think sometimes what ties along with that is to make sure that if your child is coming with you to a doctor appointment or you're in an IEP meeting or you're with a meeting with a teacher or other parents or something along those lines, that the people there are also respectful in front of your child and that they're presuming competence. This was something else she said. Assume that if you post something that there's a possibility that your child may someday see it. So if you're sharing pictures or if you're sharing anecdotes about something that may happen. Someone could probably do a screenshot and that could be there forever. It's true. And also, it may not just be them that sees it. It could be their peers or their future employers or something along those lines. So privacy and respect. So I think it's important, too, that you aim high when you're assuming things. You want to assume positive and celebrate their strengths. Speaking about celebrating strengths, why is it important to enjoy a child's special interest and how can that unlock their world? Sure, I'd love to talk about this because in autism world, special interest is really just another term for passions. What are our children really super passionate about? And that may change over time, but it's something that they really, really love and they want to absorb themselves in all things regarding that subject. So it could be trains. It could be weather. It could be dinosaurs. A particular animal. A particular animal. It could be a certain point in history. It could be something that's common and and a shared interest with other people like sports. This is a really great way to be able to bond with your child. And that is to find out what they're passionate about, what their special interest is, and to celebrate that and learn as much as you can about that with them. In fact, it really will help them feel accepted and loved if they can talk about their passion or their special interest with you. If they can't talk about it, maybe you can watch something with them or you can play a game with them. With our youngest child, at the time that he regressed and lost language, we didn't know if he'd be speaking again. But one thing we did know is that he loved cars. Cars, cars, cars. Cars, cars, cars. So he would have matchbox cars and he'd have Hot Wheels cars and he would line them up and he would sort them in all different ways. It was just really interesting. If we got down on the floor with him, suddenly he would pay attention with us and we would join in play together. And so that allowed an opportunity later on to lead to more language. It led to teaching different types of concepts because we built everything from cars. It even got to a point where when he was in school, and started to write and had trouble trying to get started with a topic, if we had it be about something he was passionate about, like cars or eventually weather or geography, 
he was able to start writing because it was something that meant something to him. And he had the knowledge base and he was thriving to get more information. Mm -hmm. And I think once we started to engage him there, he was like, oh, you're coming into my world rather than I'm having to go into your world. Absolutely. It's helping us fall in love with our kids and their passions and their gifts and their strengths because they all have them. We learn things along the way. I have learned so much from different kids that I have worked with or hung out with about specific topics. Oh, yeah. I have this one child that I worked with a long time ago. His special interest was monkeys. Everything about monkeys. He could tell me where the monkeys were coming from, what monkeys were, which breed of monkeys, what species of monkeys, (laughs) how many monkeys were still around. But I actually really engaged with him on that. I didn't try to pretend I didn't know the information. I tried to seek the information, and he became more engaged. He became more outgoing. It seemed like he felt valued. Yeah. If you want to befriend or you want to become an ally to a child that's on the spectrum or an adult that's on the spectrum, engage with them on their special interests. But don't be a poser. But don't be a poser. So what what that means... is that you don't want to pretend (laughs) that you have some really high-level knowledge about monkeys and then you don't because they will call you on that. The thing is that you'll lose trust. If you you pretend to know something like, oh, yes, I am the expert on baboon bottoms or something along those lines, they're going to call you on that and they're not going to respect you. So that's not good. Don't be a poser. Be authentic. Absolutely. Speaking of being authentic to your child... You also need to be authentic to oneself. Why is it important to take care of oneself, Karen? Your emotional and your mental health is really important. It's a vital part of your life, right? How you're feeling and how you are doing mentally and emotionally is going to affect your thoughts, your behaviors, your emotions, and your ability to function. So if you think of it as a car, your car needs to have gas in the tank to be able to go anywhere. And if you don't have any gas in your own tank you're not going to be very productive. No, you're not. So being authentic to oneself and taking care of oneself is really important because emotional health is going to promote productivity and you're going to have greater effectiveness in activities like caregiving, like taking care of your child. It plays a really important part in the health of your relationships and it will allow you to better adapt to changes in your life when you're coping with adversity. One way that you can take care of yourself is to make sure that you take dedicated time each day for yourself. It might just be a few minutes. I know when our kids were younger, I was just thrilled if I could get a shower. But when I did get that shower, oh boy, I We were all thrilled. (laughs) (laughs) Funny. But when I got that shower, oh my goodness, I smelled great. I sang all sorts of wonderful things. But whatever it is for you, John, you and I watch murder mysteries at three in the morning sometimes, and that's healing. (laughs) That is healing. (laughs) Might not be for everybody, but maybe it's a walk. It's a song. It's whatever it might be for you. Communing with nature or reading a book or taking mm -hmm. a bubble bath. Making sure to prioritize yourself. For me, I needed to get stronger in my faith. And I found that when I got stronger in my faith, other things fell into play where I eventually was able to find more time to be able to do more things. I was growing my health and I was then more capable and more productive. I want to say also that in terms of self-care, it's also important to remember that there is no shame in seeking counseling for yourself. Our last two podcasts actually were about support and mental health support, autism support. 
counseling is something nowadays, especially with telehealth and telemedicine, that we can get online. I know that doesn't work for everybody, but being able to talk about something with someone else is really valuable for so many different people. And the lifelong learners, I know Jasmine mentioned that too. It's important that we all continue to educate ourselves. That means getting to know other people within the autism community, getting to know some autistic adults, because they were once autistic children too. There's a lot of insight that you can glean from people who have shared certain experiences. There's quite a prolific group online. I think once you can advocate for yourself, then you can actually teach the advocacy to your children as well. Mm -hmm. Advocacy is a lifelong skill. It helps build that independence, and you want to start that as early as possible. John, one of the things that you and I did as early as we could was that we included our children in their own IEP meetings. Super important. Mm -hmm. These are going to be things that you want to do early on because we're not always going to be around. And so the sooner that we can teach our children these skills, the more independent, the better it'll be for them. Not only does it help them, it helps you because when they're more independent and can do more things for themselves, then that's less reliance that they have on you. Because guess what? Mm -hmm. We're not always going to be around. Nope, we're not. The more that they can rely upon themselves, that's more confidence building. That leads to more opportunities for them. So when we teach our children skills of advocacy and skills of independence, they're more resilient and they're able to learn more and grow. That gives us more time as well, because when they're able to do more things for themselves, that's great. That means that they're relying less upon us, for example, to tie their shoes or to brush their teeth or those types of things. Because once they can do that, then that builds on helping maybe advocate in an IEP meeting or email a teacher or doing lifelong skills that they'll need later down the road. We want to be able to teach our children as early on as we can to advocate for themselves and to learn those independent skills. Because we want them to have the best life possible in the highest trajectory. By doing that, we're promoting autism acceptance for them, for ourselves, for everyone else out there. We're also showing our child love. We're showing them that we believe in them. I think that was probably the biggest one that she had put out there was love your child unconditionally. I think it's important to add, where do we go from here? What are our takeaways? Because there's a lot, right? Why are people listening? To that, I want to say you have a choice. You always have a choice. Now, you may not have had a choice that your child was diagnosed on the spectrum. We may not have had a choice or say over what happened in the past, a specific events or specific things, but we always have a choice in what we can think and say and do and react from here on forward. I think a lot of times parents feel despair, they feel hopeless, and they think that they have no choice. And that's fueled by sadness, it's fueled by anger, it's fueled by fear. But when we can change our attitude to the point where we're saying we do have a choice. We can have hope. We can have education where we inform ourselves. We can have an attitude of gratitude and look towards the gifts and strengths and things. Sure, there's going to be challenges, but we're making a choice on whether we're going to have a bad reaction or we're going to say, I'm accepting this for where I'm at and I'm going to move forward. So I, I truly believe that when we make choices to surround ourselves with presumptions of competence and we hang out with people who can instill hope, it helps us feel better about ourselves. And then the choices that we make are stronger ones because it's true that the choices that we make not only impact our child's trajectory, but our own. 
At Autism Empowerment, we often say you're on an autism journey, but you're also on a life journey. We're here to meet you along the way, and you're not alone. Thank you so much for going over all of this today, Karen. I'm now going to turn it back over to you after I say thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. So thank you, listeners, for tuning in and listening. And now here's Karen to close us out. John, thank you. It was great to talk with you today and discuss when the best therapy is love. Jasmine wrote a great piece, a great letter, and our listeners can read that on our website at autismempowermentpodcast.org. I think it's important for our listeners to remember that this is just one discussion of many that we'll be having to support you in your journey. We appreciate you hanging out with us and thank you for your time. You've been listening to the Autism Empowerment Podcast. If you'd like to get connected with our community, as well as all the great support and content we have planned for the future, please hit the subscribe button and visit www.autismempowermentpodcast.org for show notes, transcripts, social media details, Spectrum Life magazine, and more. As a 501c3 nonprofit charity, we rely upon support from listeners like you to produce our podcast and other programs. We appreciate you leaving a positive review and considering a tax-deductible donation. Thank you again.